Welcome back to Clear the Air. Today's episode is with Sarah Renee Croft and Gabriella Maestre of Tremor Video, a leading video advertising company that tells meaningful brand stories through innovative video technology. Alongside Phil, we'll be diving into the evolution of video and the impact it's had on the future of connected TV advertising. We really hope you enjoy this episode, and now please welcome your host, Phil Irvine. All right, well, Serena and Gabby, uh, welcome here to uh, Clear the Air. No, glad we were able to, to make this happen, and uh, not just myself, but the full RPA team is excited to have this discussion, just so much going on with TV and video advertising. It seems like it's, it's, it's changing daily what the capabilities are and how to transact in the marketplace. Um, but I guess to kick it off here, we'd love to just understand a little bit about each of your roles at Tremor Video, um, just to give some uh, some context for the, uh, the audience here. Yeah, absolutely. We're so excited to be here. So I'm Sarah Nae Croft. I run the West Coast sales team at Tremor Video. I have been here for coming up on nine years, which is a really, really long time to be in digital advertising at the same company. But gosh, it's been an exciting ride. And um, I manage a team of 15 sellers up and down the West Coast. Hey folks, so my name is Gabby Maestre. I'm the VP of Global Creative Solutions um, for Truly, which is Tremor International's in-house creative solutions studio. So um, the way I kind of define my role is it's just never boring. So it's anything from, you know, being in market, you know, listening to client pain points to, you know, coming up and developing solutions that are either, you know, custom to a specific customer um, to even just like operational efficiencies internally. And of course, you know, developing strategy um, and go to market strategies with, you know, Serenade team and, and everyone else around the globe. Awesome. Awesome. No, thank you for that. That's uh, that's that's really helpful here. So I, I know one thing that we were talking about when we were when we were prepping for this and then also just as I've seen with, you know, other other kind of video offerings, it's just the evolution of where these platforms have evolved over, you know, not just the past year, but the past five years, past 10 years. And so I don't know, maybe maybe Serenade, um, maybe since you, you know, you're you're the vet here of being here nine years, do you do you maybe want to chat about how Tremor video has evolved and you know what 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 is what actually is all kind of part of the platform, you know, in the current state? Yeah. Oh my gosh. I mean, when we started, when I started at Tremor, we were an ad network, right? And those were big back in the day. We were a video ad network, the first video ad network. And quickly went public right when I joined in 2013 and just grew from there. Um, you know, I think we've always understood the importance of programmatic and, you know, how the market was shifting. So we definitely ensured we had presence across the board and made sure our capabilities were always kind of at the forefront of it. Um, we launched our SSP, the Tremor SSP. And we were one of the first end-to-end -end tech platforms back then, but the SSP gained a lot of traction and ultimately spun off to be called, you know, you might know Talaria, who then merged with Rubicon, and, you know, now is called Magnite. So since then, the Tremor demand side, which is the side that I've always sat on, you know, we've gone through so many acquisitions, so many mergers, including in 2018, Rhythm One and Yumi. So Yumi was a former frenemy who was so focused on the CTV space, but 
you know, that's always been important to us. So that acquisition was incredible. And then in 2020, we acquired Unruly. So we became a end-to-end um, -end tech platform all over again. And it's been a great place to be at. We acquired a global ad server called Spearad. So a lot of the acquisitions that we've gone through over the past four years have really led us to where we're at now. No longer a video ad network. We are a full end-to-end -end tech stack able to meet our clients' needs however they want to work with us, whether you want to do managed service, self-service, and be hands-on keyboard, you just want to run through supply and you want to tap into um, you know, the unruly supply through the trade desk, right? We're so nimble and flexible that it's a great place to be at in the current state of the market. Awesome. You know, um, yeah, so 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 just you know, for those that are not um, as familiar, so unruly, um, I guess when I think of connected TV in particular, so I'm a YouTube TV subscriber. I have a smart television. I, I guess how is an entity like Unruly collecting the supply that's available? Is it is it working with the Roku's or the smart TV operators, or is it the the streaming services that are just just curious if you could dive into how that yep. that kind of happens in behind the scenes or? Yeah, that's a great question. And this actually all started with our Yumi acquisition. One of the reasons why Yumi, uh, who had been acquired by Rhythm One, they became so important to us is because historically, if you recall, Tremor had been so focused on the data and on the creative side. So again, Gabby's been here for seven years. Um, we've always had our creative studio. We were always focused on getting very unique data targeting solutions out in the market. We were one of the first to launch TV retargeting. But you know, an area that we always um, missed out on was CTV. And when we looked or talked to our agency counterparts, there was always Tremor on the plan and then there was Yumi on the CTV plan. So it was a really great time. And this happened right when I came back from maternity and we acquired Yumi. And what they had been focused on was creating these direct publisher level relationships. So as opposed to going to the Roku's of the world, right? Not, we were very focused on being device agnostic and going to an A&E or a Lifetime or a history app and making sure we had access to their inventory regardless of what device they were on. Just because consumption at that point, it was you know so fluid, right? Whether I pick up my uh, TV remote or I pick up my Apple TV remote, everyone has a different way of how they actually turn on their TV. So that became crucial to us. So the unruly acquisition actually helped gain all of the pipes we needed to a lot of the holding companies and a lot of agencies that we work with. So between them and Yumi creating those publisher level relationships, it's been crucial in making us one of the, like at the forefront of the CTV space right now. Got you, got you. And have you seen kind of a, a correlation with growth with, with advertising through that type of inventory with the decline of you know of of linear advertising and more of the cord cutting activity has I, I don't know, I'm just just curious from your persp your guys's perspective like like has that has that been a kind of a trigger for kind of the growth of tremor and more demand for your 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 services here yeah i mean absolutely i mean we've seen it all, obviously on the creative side too right gabby um a lot of the media dollars have shifted you know historically it was all screen video or desktop and then it went into mobile in-app video a lot of times when we were doing our tv retargeting it was always like hey how are you actually consuming tv you have your phone in front of you so when it goes on commercial break you want to be able to retarget audiences in real time and capture them and i'd say over the past 
two, three years, especially with, you know, COVID and the consumption of uh, streaming apps increasing, it, it really has, it boosted a lot of the inventory that we had, a lot of the media buys switched from, you know, not necessarily linear to CTV, right straight to us, right? Linear went into FEP players. And then from FEP, people wanted to um, expand on the video front on CTV because that's what people were doing for the past three years. We've been sitting at home, a lot of the, you know, Netflix, Netflixes of the world, the HBO Maxes of the world coming out with this great original content. Yeah, people have been sitting at home watching CTV and, yep. you know, we've been able to uh, monetize on it. So it's been great. <laughs> The cool thing I will say, like on the creative side, especially, um, so like Saturday was saying, I've been here for like seven years and it was my, it's my first time in ad tech proper seven years ago. Um, so coming from like the content side, the pub side um, at a brand to now seeing kind of the evolution um, uh, throughout the last few years. Um, cool thing for me, or I'd say from our team, from the creative perspective is you know, having the opportunity to consult on a user journey basis. So now that, you know, people kind of understood like, oh, like we do need to pay attention to consumer behavior changes. And my hope is that it doesn't stop because, you know, we're, we went from completely at home binge watching, you know, exponentially more historically speaking to maybe people now coming back and the behaviors changing. So my hope is that not just from the last few years, but kind of just learning how folks are evolving, not just their media plans, but even now thinking more intentionally about their creative, how they can get additional optimization, additional data um, from their creative itself, not just, you know, pre-launch, pre-campaign. -pre yeah, you know, so I'm, I'm yeah, glad you touched on that. And I think what's interesting, you know, with myself personally, I grew up a lot through email and direct mail marketing. So I, not to date myself, but 2009, 2010, we just didn't have a lot of video advertising capabilities back then. And so, um, so I'm pretty well versed in the concept of different messages and creative across a user journey, but it's more in the static kind of image space and offer space. Yeah. And so I'd love for you to touch on that because um, I know another thing you guys kind of call out just looking at your materials is this concept of uh, all screen advertising. And I'm just curious with video, you know, what are maybe some of the nuances that you think about with video creative that you serve on, you know, a 42 inch LCD TV versus a mobile phone or maybe a desktop? Like, I'm like just curious how you think about some of those nuances along uh, a user journey. You know? Yeah, absolutely. So I even like I always whenever we're talking screens with folks, especially from a best practices standpoint, I even tell people don't just hyper focus on the screen, take a step back and like think of where you are as a consumer when you're consuming from these different screens and that that's where best practices start not at ad start like literally at turning on the device so i'll usually go through and i'll kind of talk through a couple points that i always share with people it's like you know linear tv and ctv they both share the same device completely different user experience you're sitting maybe five to ten feet away from your screen depending how big your screen is um on linear tv your surfing channels you do you know people think of a guide um i'm dating ourselves you know myself I, I know what a linear tv guide looks like um a little but notebook then, you would open up exactly like, yes exactly it's oh you're like, talking about the physical tv guide I'm I thought, like, okay. physical tv guide yeah, yeah. exactly yeah. you have a physical tv guide which it was groundbreaking that you could then actually like yeah. you know interface with it um cut to now search on ctv is like the biggest thing like how to 
you know, with buddies that work within like the CTV UI space, they're always like, ser- like search is the thing we're trying to figure out because one of the biggest pain points that consumers have is I like, where is it? Like, oh, hot new show. Where is it? Um, so even just like, you know, we went from a digital guide to digital, you know, CTV based search um, and then kind of bring it down to smaller screens. Like think of how, um, you interact with a laptop or even desktop computer. It's typically like a lean-in environment. Um, you know, uh, you're kind of a little closer to the screen. You're touching the actual device, and then even more intimate, a mobile phone or mobile tablet. It's closer to your person. You're holding it. You know, if you're consuming content, maybe with one hand, or you're you're holding it with both your hands. Um, and there's more actionable experience within kind of that mobile, even desktop environment. So um, even just thinking of those small little details of like how a user behaves um, with their devices is key. And I would say like the biggest, the biggest, biggest be- uh, pro tip I can give any marketer, anyone in media, watch your ads. Like you, like people consume content, you need to consume ads the way you consume content to even begin to understand the benefits and differences you see within the nuances of a user journey. And then from there, it's just connecting the dots. So going back to your original question, Phil, of like, how how do you even start with the user journey? It starts with kind of like what the actual message is and the creative. Um, and I know sometimes it can be difficult, say from like uh, a media agency perspective, because sometimes the creative is being developed by a whole different team. Maybe you're working alongside them. Maybe if it's internal, you're working directly with them. But sometimes things have to happen at the same time. So um, I know one of the pain points we often try to help out with is what do you do when kind of things are working in silos and how do you actually marry the two by the time it gets to us when we have to help distribute it and you know, obviously collaborating with Serenay's team to make sure that the media strategy is on point with what needs to be accomplished. I think that's a huge like takeaway too, right? Because our goal is to make sure the right creative is served to the right person. So, you know, rarely do we have any placements that are running that aren't media associated, right? There's data on every single line item that we run. So are you reaching the right audience with the right creative? Um, You know, how can we be a consultative partner, like Abby said, and we're going to get into this a little bit later, but how do we make sure the right creative is being served to the right person on the right screen to ensure whether it's brand awareness you're looking for, or if you're looking to drive down the funnel and actually have someone, you know, walk into a dealership and buy a car or walk into a Carl's Jr. and, you know, get the latest and greatest. So uh, there's a lot of consultative work that goes into it. And I want to go back to the original question you asked me as well. You know, we rely a lot on uh, the agencies, right, and how to work with you for your CTV budgets, because there's agencies right now who use CTV as an FEP extension, like I mentioned, right? There's other teams that are, it's the video investment team that we need to speak to who are transacting against CTV. And then there's the digital teams who either manage the CTV budget or sometimes they're including it in the all-screen video. So everything has evolved so much. It's really our job to make sure that we dig in, we know we're talking to the right people and ensure we're sharing the right type of messaging, whether it's, hey, you want to run TV and you're a linear team, well, let us help you amplify your TV campaigns, right? Mm -hmm. It's all about the right verbiage, being able to speak the same, you know, talk as the team you're speaking to. That throws a lot of words together, but if that makes sense, right? Like you have to make sure you're using the right lingo with the right teams to ensure that they're looking at CTV the way you are, or you're looking at CTV the way they are. So you guys hit on a lot of great uh, points there to, to unpack. I think, you know, one thing that's often 
you know, kind of a, a, a component that we're we're trying to think through is is so yes, in an ideal world, right creative, right per, right place, right time to every individual. But sometimes the level of effort to design, you know, all those creative variations isn't worth the investment because you know, even though the data may say one thing, the actual results and response behaviors might say something else. Like, I guess, you know, how do you guys think about that when you consult with either agencies or clients on, you know, the optimal number of versions, you know, maybe tied to personas versus individuals, or just curious how you, you know, how you kind of, you kind of think through that too. Yeah. Oh, Gabby. Oh, yeah, I was going to say like, I'm happy to jump in. Um, so yeah, I actually, I always like starting with like, like the most frequently asked question I get when talking about uh, more specifically dynamic video, like which would essentially be kind of like versioning on steroids is, you know, I'll ask folks a question, you know, what what's something you want to learn from your audience? Like that's kind of always my starting point. And a question I would always get like at the beginning of meetings like this would be, um, well, I want to test like what color call to action will drive highest performance. And like, if you come down to it, it's like, okay, if the green call to action has the highest CTR, what does that actually tell you about your audience? Probably not a lot, but if we start pairing call to actions to your different personas or even different points within your user journey, that's when you're actually going to start getting actionable insights from it. So I always focus on like the data if you're getting data back that's that's when versioning is actually getting you um the actual kind of more information that you can then apply to either the same campaign depending on how you have it set it up or even just take it as learnings to hey maybe let's try it on the next campaign um so i would say you know focus on insights it can even you know i always start with audience because i think that's kind of some of the most important points but it can it also depends on like what are what are your business like what are your bigger business goals like if the brand wants to figure out you know like what region or what markets to open up you know open up new brick and mortar locations maybe let's try like and you know open it up to different markets and kind of see what how it resonates and maybe you can use that to inform part of that um kind of moving forward goal and things like that so looking for audience, um, does it make sense for the brand? So like there could be instances where it totally makes sense for a specific campaign, but not for, you know, a follow-up campaign that's maybe focused on, you know, a national limited time offer. It's like the mm -hmm. same offer across all geos, so on and so forth. So it's like, if you don't, if, if you're thinking I want to do A to B testing, and then you're like, oh, but what if I test this other thing and this other thing? Then you're probably on the right track of doing versioning. And the the, la the third thing I'll also share is folks love to focus on like the next best thing. So they're like, oh, I heard this term, data-driven creative, video DCO, dynamic video, however you want to call it. If it doesn't make sense for your campaign, it's not worth forcing uh, mm -hmm. forcing it within your campaign. Um, and that's okay. It's just simply finding the one where it makes sense at, or maybe you try something that's a little more at scale to say the budget you have. Cause sometimes we'll, you know, we'll, uh, come in and, you know, we'll pitch dynamic video, the concept, you know, might net out, you know, 10,000 different video permutations. But if your budget is less than, I don't know, $10 of video permutation, then maybe we should reevaluate um, what that strategy is. But the good thing is it's, you know, it's all flexible. It's just a matter of, like you said at the beginning, kind of finding the nuance that makes sense and and really tying it to your creative and media strategy. Got you. And I, 
And uh, so one thing I did want to touch upon, and I, I think you were starting to talk about this, was we were chatting about your, I believe it's your EQ product, where yeah, um, yeah. kind of, you know, in, in the planning stage of running a campaign, you can get some type of sign of how well a creative is going to resonate with particular audience. I may be butchering the explanation, but can you maybe- You got it. You like, got it. You got with, the top um, line gist. The way you described it is something that I- don't believe is 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 really you know a part of most planning processes. So I'd love for you guys to, to chat on that a little more. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So um, so to recap for folks, so um, as part of the kind of our merger with Unruly, uh, we also inherited their EQ product suite. So um, EQ kind of standing for emotional intelligence. Uh, that suite of products essentially focuses on measuring the emotional impact of a of a creative. Um, it can be across your specific target, specific geos. Um, you can even, you know, get a sense of, you know, positive, negative reactions to it. And then because we also have a studio in house, you can actually make edits to your video before you even go live. And you can also run them A to B. So the fact that you're getting a barometer uh, ahead of the campaign allows you for minor adjustments within your plan as well, or even learn additional things. So that's pre launch, you can actually also test it post-launch um, and see um, how it's doing. And you can also test um, the optimized custom version that the studio produces for you. And so far, I mean, you know, 10 out of 10, I would say optimizations we would recommend typically, even without testing pre-launch, we've actually matched um, whatever the the pre-test EQ test um, recommends. Um, and on top of that, we've actually seen a larger brand lift from our optimized version. So uh, that definitely gets me excited, especially since um, I know in our previous chats, I was mentioning we're in the process of revamping those products um, to continue to become competitive in market. Uh, but just to give you a little sneak peek, um, you know, while emotional impact measurement has been a huge success um, and our clients really like it, we're evolving it to include a funnel, essentially a funnel barometer, like how will your creative perform, whether you're using it for awareness, consideration, or intent, um, and even further, um, attention. Um, so something we've been measuring as part of the emotional impact is um, concentration um, and confusion, which you can al already kind of see like, oh, we're kind of already touching on attention. So we're, we're definitely looking to revamp that um, and make it uh, even more robust. So I uh, can't talk too much about it right now, but I think that that's as, uh, if you do have any questions, I'll, I'll try to answer as best as I can, but I'm personally really excited about it. It's been nice to be able to tie this in with the media, right? Um, ideally, we get to a point where clients and advertisers are looking to test out their creative in advance and make those changes. But we know it's difficult, right? Once a creative's done, um, especially, you know, really big national advertisers rarely ever want to touch their creative. Um, we were actually working with a um, tech company who ran four or five different versions um, and did the, did the EQ Max study during the campaign and, you know, it was really neat to see the results. I actually just walked through the full case study and just being able to see, you know, four out of the five creatives resonated really well. And then one of them caused confusion. And you can actually see the barometer of when people's faces were confused, because it was at the same time that my face was confused. I, could, I didn't understand the messaging along with the creative. And I think those insights are super neat to be able to go back at the end of a campaign and share with a client and say, hey, like, while... We know you all love your creative. Here's kind of 
what the panel saw. Here is how we believe that consumers are actually understanding this. And here are our recommendations moving forward. And our goal is once we get you know, uh, the same client using it over and over again, that ultimately it does become a pre-campaign insight solution. And it really creates that stickiness factor of what Tremor can bring to our, you know, advertisers. It's not just media, you know, again, we're a full creative in-house studio. We are consultative. We want to make sure that, you know, we're not just a media platform that you run on and you move on. And, you know, we want to create a partnership. And I think the true part of a partnership is that consultative nature of what Tremor Video does in the market. Got you. Yeah, no, it's funny. I had I had two or three follow-up questions, but you you all answered the majority of them in your responses. Because, yeah, because kind of where my head was going is, uh, Gabby, you were touching on responses in terms of emotional reactions. But, you know, the media, the media teams are, are I mean, they're they're definitely interested in that, but they're definitely more interested in the awareness, you know, website visits, consideration, you know, certain types of, you know, like website digital behaviors. And it, it sounds like you're, you're trying to take the product to be able to measure that as well. So that, that sounds, yeah. that sounds really, really interesting. Yeah. Future. Ideally you tie everything to media, right? I mean, is this actually then landing into people visiting? So you have two different ways you evaluate it. You have, this is evaluating at the creative level. And then if the different creative is actually running on different placements, you know, sometimes they're obviously all versioned in together, but if they're running on different placements and have different data audiences, then you start digging in, right? Then it's our job and our research team's job to like really dig in and understand, all right, we were targeting X audience with this creative. We were targeting Y audience with the same creative which resonated better, which actually performed better. Hey, did you run a you know, third party survey, like an upwave or a brand lift study? What did you do to then ultimately figure out if the, you know, the KPIs were met? So, you know, I think one of the things that we try to do here at Tremor is it's never just one study. We always want to make sure there's additional incremental ways we can bring attribution or added value, um, whether it be through creative, whether as far as like these EQ studies, being able to wrap them in and truly offer when and when I say added value, I don't mean like a monetary added value. It's what value can we add to your media campaign so that we make you guys look good when you go to the client and say, hey, like here's all the insights we learned. Because ultimately that's what it's about, right? You run a campaign, you want it to perform, but what insights are we bringing back to you guys and the client so that you can continue to do better next time around? Yeah. Definitely, definitely. Yeah, so kind of a last major topic here that I wanted to touch on, and I'll start with you, Serenay, is, um, you know, a, a thing we talk about a lot here is the future of transacting and, you know, progressing toward a point more of automation. And I guess I would just, you know, to start off with this topic, um, would love your perspective on, you know, when it makes sense to do buys through the open exchange versus PMPs, you know, with, you know, knowing that, you know, PMPs, there's premium inventory, there's maybe different, you know, different audiences or different, you know, uh, contextual scenarios you can be visible on. But I guess I'm curious what you're seeing in terms of trends of, of open exchange buys versus PMP buys, like like where it makes sense for in both scenarios. Yeah. Well, let me take a step back because I think um, it's fair to say that Tremor, we, we accept all kinds, right? Like we work managed service. We're okay with hands-on keyboard and we're also, you know, up for setting up deal IDs and giving you like really great supply. Um, we have the unruly SSP. There is open exchange inventory, right? So other 
other DSPs are transacting in the unruly SSP. When it comes to my team specifically, you know, again, we're here to support our clients' preferences. So I actually jotted down some notes because I think it's important to like talk about depending on the KPIs of the client, what are their goals? What are they looking to do? We're here to be consultative. So we have high touch managed service campaigns. So that's where we're fully white glove service. We'll take your media buy, right? We'll <clears throat> set forth the recommendation. If we make the plan, we'll manage the campaign through and through, run it on really great quality supply and ensure that we meet your KPIs. And then you have, right, the DSP and hands-on keyboard. So we'll walk through training. So anyone who wants to, you know, sign up for the Tremor DSP. Again, we have tons of clients who are interested on in being hands-on keyboard. That being said, if they have a DSP, right, you're working with the trade desk, you're working with DV360, that's great. You're in need of really good supply. You come to us and you're like, hey, you know, we love the unruly supply or, hey, um, we want to focus on CTV. Um, we want to do the data on our side or we want you to do the data on your side. I would say our recommendation is always private marketplaces over buying on the OMP. The PMPs have higher priority um, in the ad call, which means better performance, um, you know, by capturing the user earlier in the session. PMPs are less competitive than open marketplaces, which means you have higher win rates, thus improving your KPIs. Um, you have an ability to lock in efficient pricing. So I think that's really key. And because we're an end-to-end -end tech platform, right, we have the demand side. So I can go to my publishers on the SSP side and say, hey, we have really great brands like a Honda and Carl's Jr. and so-and-so who want to run on your supply. And then we go to our supply partners and we're like, hey, we have really great demand partners, right? We have these big you know, blue chip accounts that want to run on your supply. So it kind of goes hand in hand, but that gives us the ability to lock in efficient pricing when we're running a PMP, um, you know, assure brand safety by being able to establish those direct deals with the pubs, be able to curate a really solid, um, whether it be a CTV FEP list for you, or, hey, we want a performance uh, PMP. So my goal would be like always to push the PMP over um, open exchange on for my team specifically. So just, you know, just one last thing. What do you, you know, I'm sure you guys are following the news and seeing what's going on with with Netflix and their, their, their massive uh, stock decrease. Um, you know, I don't know. What do you think? Do you think they're going to have advertising at some point and have like a paid advertising spot? Uh, just, just curious to get your, you know, your all thoughts on that. Yeah. I know Gabby has some thoughts, but I can kick it off. I mean, I absolutely, I think, you know, they're kind of, of course they're going to go ad supported. I know they've been holding off for a really long time, but I have to imagine when you have, you know, I was just at the Think LA Entertainment Breakfast and Joel Early was um, the president of Hulu was on stage and he was talking about the multi-subscription model and how they, you know, do these great bundle um, subscriptions and right. Uh, I'm willing to pay to skip advertising, right? Because I want my content right when I want it. Um, so I think, you know, Netflix is leaning or hopefully leaning towards that. And you know, I already pay for Netflix. Why not pay a couple more dollars to be able to skip the ads? So I think the consolidation is happening. And I think that's just kind of the way the market's moving. But I know Gabby has some thoughts on like IPs and Yeah. So I so yeah. you know, I can't help it. I started in in TV um when people were freaking out about uh streamers and new fronts and 
you know, not understanding what views were and how I can match that to my Nielsen TV ratings and things like that. So kind of being able to see it happen almost, you know, live over the last 10 years has been really exciting. I think not just consolidation of platforms, but consolidation of IP. Um, I think the easiest example for folks to pick up is like, you know, Disney throughout the last 10 years has had a transformative um uh, you know, change in market. Um, you know, if you notice, you know, they slowly started acquiring master IP libraries from Marvel uh, to Lucasfilm, and they weren't the first uh, subscription platform. They were probably close to last in terms of like kind of the big name brands that hold libraries. Did that matter? Probably not because they, you know, they have um, all those big ticket libraries. And I think we're going to continue to see that um, as things continue. You know, we kind of saw it with um, the Paramounts, Viacom, CBS, um, um, with Amazon, Pluto did TV. Amazon buy MGM, I think. Was there it? you go. Yep. Yeah, that's yeah exactly. Yeah. yeah. So you're going to, I think that's where we're going to continue to see consolidation beyond platforms. Um, uh, in terms of Netflix going ad supported, um, I mean, that just gives me more data like to decision on in terms of creative versioning. Um, you know, historically, Netflix has always been, you know, kept their numbers very close um, yeah. at heart. So the fact that, you know, even if it's, you know, going through clean room, clean rooms to access that data. Um, I, I think it's definitely going to open up additional um, opportunities um, for advertisers, marketers, um, and all of our different clients. Um, so I'm excited. Yeah. I mean, no, being funny. able to get off of that, that's going to be so crucial. I mean, we have tech, different ways that we're able to do that right now through a company um, we're working with to be able to target anyone viewing Netflix shows based on a device that's actually in the household. So as Gabby mentioned, right, Netflix has historically been very closed off. So you can't access the normal ACR methodology of, you know, automatic content recognition once TVs actually um, go into, right, if someone actually connects to the Netflix app, you're actually not able to follow them through. They were been very strict. But we actually work with a company who has a device in the household that is able to understand that it's a Netflix show. So that's really recent and we're really excited about it. But I mean, it, once commercials start running in there, then um, it's yep, all yep. fair game and TV retargeting is going to be catapulted, being able to target people who are watching um, the most you know, recent season of The Crown, et cetera. It's going to be really exciting and great way to be able to kind of tie in all of the uh, streaming platforms together and reach those original viewers. Yeah, because I got to think that the, 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 not just the volume, but the amount, the type of data that they have is going to be really powerful because um, just from, you know, ironically, other podcasts I listen to, you know, through research, like it seems like they were the best at content development based off of audience insights and understanding, you know, who was on their platform, what were their interests associating kind of tags related to categories of different shows and then developing new shows based off of those kind of niche audiences. And you got to think if they if they can find a way to unlock that and share that with advertisers, that's going to be super powerful. If you combine that with just the, still the volume of subscribers they have, I would, I would think. Yeah. I mean, I recently found out that the tiles are different for like for the same show. I'm being hit with a different image of a character on the tile than you would be, or than my husband is, than Gabby is. I just found that out. And I'm like, I thought we all, I mean, I know that the tiles all shifted, but I didn't realize yeah. the image of the show was different for every. Oh, yeah. 
and to be able to drive them to, you know, click. So it, absolutely, there's a wealth of knowledge there and hopefully we can all, right, um, tap into it. Also, are they going to be selling their inventory through SSPs, right? Or are they going to be um, having their own ad sales team? I think that's going to be something interesting to look out for, right? Is there going to be a whole new sales crew out in the market, um, you know, reaching out? So I, there's a lot of, I think, exciting changes. I think now that kind of people are out and about, the consumption of CTV is also starting to, you know, flatten out. The, it's not such a high incline anymore. I think people are out, they're traveling, they're not at home anymore, just sitting in front of the TV. So that'll be interesting to see how that kind of shifts over the next um, six to 12 months as people are back out traveling. Awesome. Well, uh, both of you, this has been, this has been fantastic. I, I learned a ton <laughs> in this. And so uh, glad you guys could take some time out of your busy day to join uh, Clear the Air and, and hopefully we can do this again sometime soon in the future. Yeah, we appreciate it. Thank you so much, Phil. And if you know anyone has any questions, we're free to talk to you guys. Thanks again for listening to Clear the Air with RPA. Please remember to leave a rating and a review and hit subscribe to the show on whichever platform you're listening from. If you have a show idea or guest you'd like to hear from, please don't hesitate to reach out to the team at rpa-pod at rpa.com. That's rpa-pod at rpa.com. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you next Wednesday with another new episode.